When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The season's already started. You're not going out there just to break a sweat. You're going out there to get things done. You got to come out here and sweat. You got to come out here and bleed. Let's turn it up now. New quarterbacks in new places. You're getting new receivers in new places. So you want to build that chemistry. Back to business. It's time to win. Time to get this. Took some time off. Now my grind is relentless. You're good to be back, baby. Training camp around the league is just about here. The rookies for 10 teams reported the camp between yesterday and today, starting with the Bills and the Raiders on Monday. Then today, the rookies for eight teams reported. That included those for the Ravens, Saints, Patriots, and Jets. As we say hello and welcome to NFL Live, we're going to talk about rookies, veterans, and everything in between. Left to right, you can see our crew. It's Dan, although I prefer to call him Tan Orlovsky today. Got some color in that face there, Dano. And it's not makeup. Mina Kimes and, of course, our guy, Jeff Tarnton. I think you look great just for the record, Dan. And we're going to dive into some of these rookies that are reporting to camp today, their first real action in the NFL. Dana, which class are you most interested in this year amongst rookies? I think it's the Packers, Field. I mean, we, we've talked about what they've lost, and certainly the additions of players like Devontae Walker, or Devontae Wyatt and Coy Walker that they drafted from the University of Georgia defensively, but they've lost Devontae Adams. Great, they draft Christian Watson in the second round. Is he going to become that second-round receiver that is notorious with the Green Bay Packers? Also, Romeo Dubs, their fourth-round receiver that they took out of Nevada, he's got to kind of replace MBS with that six-foot-two frame and vertical, vertical speed. I think their rookie's got to be really good this year for them to contend in the NFC. Well, Dan, I look at the Buffalo Bills and I just think about this rookie class. I understand the depth that the Buffalo Bills already have, but if they're looking at something to put them over the edge, it could be their first-round pick on in Kair Elam. This is a cornerback who should come in and make an immediate impact given the fact that Tredavious White is injured and will take some time getting back. They've already got a really good secondary, but Elam could really step in there and be a game changer for this team early in the season. So the Chiefs went into this draft with a ton of picks and they used him on players that they filled for need, not just best player available because this is a roster with needs. Trent McDuffie, cornerback out of Washington. Tavarius Ward is gone. Be curious to see where he fits into that secondary. Then you go to the pass rush. George Karloftis out of Purdue. Extremely powerful pass rusher. Violent hands. Melvin Ingram has departed, of course. You're going to need a way to get after the, the uh, quarterback opposite Frank Clark. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I honestly believe this. If the Chiefs rookies play like your average NFL rookies, I think their streak of winning seven straight division titles ends. As great as their offense is going to be, and those two names that you brought up, Karlaftis and McDuffie, are the big names to me. Um, I think about it like this, and you guys have heard me talk about this, and Mina, I want to get your, your opinion on this. So everybody in their division, meaning the Raiders, 
the Chargers, and the Broncos. Those three teams have two elite edge rushers, right? The Chiefs, yeah. we can make the claim, don't have one elite edge rusher because mm. Ingram has moved on. Karlaftis has got to be, while he was awesome at Purdue, he got to be like TJ Watt almost. He's got to have that kind of impact. And then McDuffie, because their number one corner, Ward, went to San Francisco. McDuffie's got to be a plug-and-play corner. But my question to you, Mina, is, in my opinion, and I think you share it, is he's better inside. Ward was an outside guy. So is Ward good enough to go play outside in big-time football for the Chiefs and a defense that likes to play man coverage? That's my concern. Yeah, it's a really good question question, um, with Trent McDuffie because he does have shorter arms. He's a little bit shorter in stature. I think a lot of teams probably did look at him as a slot corner. But the Chiefs went into this draft with glaring needs on defense, right? Which is kind of unusual for a team that is a contender. I think we all are contenders. Usually they're drafting for depth. But this is a team that had major holes in the defense, one of which was outside corner with the departure of Ward and the other pass rush, you know, If you remember, the first half of last season, the Chiefs had one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL, and that was in large part due to the lack of a pass rush. You had Chris Jones playing out of position at edge, uh, and suddenly, about midseason, they trade for Melvin Ingram, who you know is not one of the best pass rushers in the league, but it has a trickle effect on the rest of the defense. Chris Jones moves back inside. Suddenly, they don't have to quite blitz quite as much, and they go from 22nd to seventh in pressure. So now Ingram's gone, and you have Karlaf just coming in. And, and Dan, he's not like a true sack artist, mm. uh, but he is extremely yeah. powerful and disruptive. And I think in this particular defense, if he can condense the pocket, force quarterbacks to step up into Chris Jones, and also free up blisters, as we know Steve Spagnuolo wants to do, I think he can be impactful from day one. That's a lot of pressure on a rookie. It's kind of refreshing to talk about sure. the Chiefs' defense for once. We always talk about the offense. So let's talk about the offense. Why not? Because they did, of course, take Sky Moore out of Western Michigan, 54th overall. That was late in the second round. He joins a new-look wide receiver group that also includes Juju Smith-Schuster in a one-year deal. Marquez Valdez-Scantling on a three-year, $30 million deal. Of course, there is no more Tyreek Hill. He now plays for the Dolphins. And, Jeff, you spoke to Patrick Mahomes. What does he think about this wide receiver group in general and also Sky Moore? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, speaking with Patrick Mahomes about this wide receiver group, he is very excited about it. And he understands the talent that is Tyreek Hill and what that means to the offense. But he also likes the idea of adapting into something that's a little bit different. And that is these big bodied receivers that we're looking at here. I mean, Marquez uh, Scantling, Valdez Scantling, excuse me, and Juju Smith-Schuster are two guys that obviously are these big dudes who can kind of do things that Tyreek Hill necessarily couldn't, not to take away from him but he will be able to spread it around more. As it pertains to Sky Moore, I can tell you, I was in Kansas City uh, for the draft, and they loved what they did on defense early on, and it allowed them the luxury of, in the middle of the second round, going after Sky Moore, and that's something that absolutely lit up that building. There was an electricity in that building after they made that move. They felt like they're not trying to necessarily replace Tyreek Hill, but they felt like they absolutely added the firepower to an offense that could use a little bit more. Yeah, Jeff, I think the two things that Sky Moore needs to, at least his police, bring to this offense wide receiver-wise is, number one, ball skills. Really good ball skills when it's in the air. And then number two, a feel-in zone. You know, if you had to ask me what he would bring in, in like, different than the guys that they have, MVS is going to be the, the vertical speed guy. Go make some big plays. And then Juju's going to be your big physical pass-catching guy 
kind of working right where the hashes are, and Kelsey's going to be Kelsey. Sky Moore's got to be that guy that's going to be able to track the football, has, has the ability to kind of just gauge the speed of where he needs to turn it off, turn it on, and just have a really good feel for tracking the ball, but then have great kind of understanding of color in the zones. Another name, you guys saw the clip from the Clemson receiver number eight. I call college football games. Justin Ross. The only reason Justin yeah. Ross fell into this draft is because of health. Mm. God willing that his health is neck or his neck is healthy and he's yeah. his back is healthy and he's he's cool. a healthy player. He's a guy that could be a difference maker, even more so than Sky Moore, because his talent is all wow. it's a first round talent off the chart. So I think that these two 100%. rookies are gonna have to play well, but they're their fourth or fifth options in Kansas City. So they're not gonna be asked to do a ton. Yeah, it's such a good point about Justin Ross because before he got hurt, he was absolutely a first-round talent. And uh, if he's able yeah. to be healthy and I think reach, return to that potential, this could look like one of the biggest steals of the draft for Kansas City. No pressure to get him yes. on the field immediately. Um, Sky Moore, I think, he was such an interesting pick because as we looked at this team and thought, okay, how are they going to replace Tyreek Hill or how is this offense going to evolve? They go out, they get speed in free agency. Obviously, you still got Hardman and you might use him more vertically. And then they grab a receiver who I think gives them an answer they didn't have last season against those two high looks, Versus. which is a shifty, strong slot receiver who can work underneath alongside Judas Schuster. I don't think this offense is going to necessarily be better, mm. but I think they have more answers because of the versatility at the wide receiver mm-hmm. position than they did last season. Yeah, I, I don't want to make this too simple. It's really, re- re- very few things are in the NFL, but when you have an elite quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, you tend to have a belief that you and will no find line. a way amidst yeah. change and uncertainty, which comes when you trade away Tyreek Hill. One thing we do know about the Chiefs, yep. their first eight games we're going to test them because their first eight games this year are against teams that had a winning record last season, and the AF specifically the AFC West, is loaded. Much more to come here on NFL Live as Trevor Lawrence looking to make the leap in his second season. Dan O tells us exactly what Lawrence needs to do to take that step forward, and it might be looking into the past. And later, we continue our Madden's rating reveal with the tight ends and edge rushers. Find out where Dan and Mina think Madden got it wrong. Thought I was near in the finish line. That's what you wrong. That's what you wrong. Yeah, money to count on. I know it won't leave me This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. First, I want to welcome everybody to NFL Live with Kayvon Thibodeau. I heard- 
heard there was a dance potentially in your future when your name gets called. The New York football giant select, Kayvon Thibodeau. Oh, I know what I'm doing. It's a plan. I believe in them and it's, it's, it's just a go-to. Daniel, Daniel Jones wears eight. Listen, I had, I had to call the big homie and I knew he was going to get me right with the drip. We're going to drop the coat and we're going to walk off. Okay. Now we're taking over the world. Kayvon Thibodeau had quite the draft week, including having some fun on our very own set. But ahead, we bring you the incredible story behind Sam, the lifelong Giants fan that made the pick and how he played a role in bringing Thibodeau to New York. We promise you that feature is a must-see. It's coming soon. But first, let's pivot back to the football field where Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars are hoping for a much improved second season. It was, frankly, a year to forget last year for Lawrence, who tied for the most interceptions in the NFL and ranked in the bottom five in both completion percentage and QBR. The Jaguars went 3-14 last season, and just how big of a change was that in terms of losing for Lawrence? How about this? His high school and college teams won a combined 86 and four. He went three and 14 last year. Wow. All right, so Dan, a lot of coaches will tell you that the biggest leap for a player comes between year one and year two yeah. of his career. How does Trevor Lawrence make that leap? Sure. I think it starts with really focusing on last year, what you learned from being able, or what, what not to do, what you can't do. And I, what I mean by that is I, multiple times last year I watched tape of Trevor Lawrence and it's, oh, he's just seeing if he can make that throw. So learn from that. I can't make that throw versus that type of coverage or I can't make that throw versus that type of defense when I have this play on or in this situation of the game or maybe to some of the people that he has around his team. Really learn from some of the over-aggressive moments of last season. I think the second thing too field is he was such a master running the RPO, the run pass option at Clemson. I think they did it way too much. With Doug Peterson coming over, I think they're going to go back to doing a lot of that because that's what they did early on for Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. Master, go back to that mastery of the RPO. And then, you know, we often talk about young quarterbacks and when they play behind bad offensive lines that it's only a negative. I think that you could take positive away from that, realizing, can I play quicker? Can you challenge yourself to play so quickly because you're aware that your offensive line is not very good that maybe it doesn't allow you to have the optimal throw every time, but it forces the ball out of your hands, the sacks get minimized, and it it allows playmakers around you that are better this year to go make some plays. I I really believe if he focuses on that stuff with Doug Peterson, we'll see a big jump from Trevor Lawrence to remind us why he was that kind of no-brainer number one pick. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, and especially I think Doug Peterson um, playing an important role in whether or not Trevor Lawrence can make the leap. Look, uh, the bar is low for Doug Peterson. Let's start here. This time (laughs) last summer, we were talking about Urban Meyer inexplicably having Trevor Lawrence split reps with Gardner Minshew, which (laughs) in retrospect, I cannot believe we were having that discussion. Um, So Peterson comes in. He's obviously an experienced presence. He's good at working with quarterbacks. But but it's not going to be easy for him because as much as this team spent on acquiring talent and going out and improving offensive line, getting skilled players, uh, when I look at the depth chart, in my mind, the players who jump, the skilled players who have the most upside for this offense are Christian Kirk, who they, of course, acquired and spent a lot on free agency, uh, Lavisca Chenault, 
who is sort of this unicorn who his usage is he's extremely versatile sure. and I think they got to figure out how to use him. And then Travis Etienne is coming back from injury. Uh, as a pass catcher, when you put yeah. Etienne in that group, all of the three players who I named are somewhat similar. There's no one who's going to win one-on-one outside. Mm. And, and I think for Peterson, mm -hmm. that presents a challenge because you want to work through the three best skill players you have, but they have somewhat duplicative skill sets. Sure. So he's going to have to find a way to get them all in the football field and make them all productive. All right, man, may have been a little audio issue there with our guy Jeff Darlington. I'm not sure what exactly he's saying. I'm sure it's pretty insightful. So instead, we're going to fast forward instead to some quick reads. We were just talking about how Trevor Lawrence could be that player who can make that leap from year one to year two. So let's turn things right back to that same exact topic, and we'll go around the group, perhaps with Jeff Darlington, and dive into a player who we think could make the leap in the second year of his career. Dana, you start us off with another Dolphins wide receiver. Yeah, I'm going to go Jalen Waddle. A lot of the conversation this offseason feels rightfully so has been about Tyreek Hill in their, his addition to Miami, but Jalen Waddle is a guy that comes off over 104 catches, 1,000 yards, and last year he did that without Teron Armstead at left tackle, without the addition of Tua Tunga Bailoa completely healthy and Tyreek Hill. I think we can see him ascend to being that young version of Tyreek Hill, 15 yards per catch. I'll go to another wide receiver from the first round, Devontae Smith. Um, you know, obviously, Jamar Chase was kind of the star of last season, but you shouldn't overlook what Smith did. He's playing a lot of the traits we saw in college that made him so special, that unbelievable yeah. release, the shiftiness, the separation. Now, he's paired with a wide receiver in A.J. Brown, who is going to pull focus from him. If you thought he was open last year, he's going to be even more open for Jalen Hurts this season. I love that pairing, and I love his prospects this year. We're going to try to get Jeff Darlington back in. There we go, Jeff. Jeff, take it away. Hey, what's up? Uh, Rashad Bateman. Look, this guy right now is on pace to have a really big season. We know that Hollywood Brown is no longer with the Ravens, and that does, of course, open up a window. But beyond all of that, he already yeah. showed last season that he's got the potential to be a stud in the NFL. I think this is a big breakout year for Rashad Bateman. As soon as Lamar Jackson gets in there with maybe his new contract, okay. maybe not, it doesn't matter. Bateman will be a star for the Ravens. Yeah, we spent so much time talking about Lamar's deal or lack thereof that we haven't really dove into some of those other pieces on offense. Bateman primed for a big year. Dan, you got a final thought for us? Yeah, Field, I just wanted to know, Mina, who do you think's wearing a better summer shirt, me or you? Because my shirt's a pretty good summer shirt, but you are very <laughs> summer shirty. Pretty good summer shirt. Yeah. Well, I did ask for Both? extra blush today to outdo your sunburn. I don't know if uh, that's showing up on tape, but I can't let you be the only like tan summery person. And then with Darlington, between you and Darlington, it's a... It's Dan Field. Goodness gracious. Yeah, no one knows this, but our NFL live uh, prep well, involved the, the trip winter, to yeah. Mykonos over the weekend. It was a wonderful time for all involved. <laughs> Dan drank some chilled red wine. All right, that's enough for now. We're going to go back to football in just a minute. It's coming up after the break. Our My Wish series from ESPN continues. Lifelong Giants fan Sam not only got to announce the Giants first round pick, but he got so much more. Steph Curry hosts the 30th annual SBs tomorrow from the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific on ABC and the ESPN app. The SBs honor ESPN's commitment to the V Foundation for Cancer Research, a partnership launched with late Jim Valvano at the inaugural SBs in 1993.
This week, our My Wish series returns after a two-year hiatus due to the pandemic. And in conjunction with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, ESPN is turning sports wishes into reality with kids who face critical illnesses. Today, we introduce you to Sam, who received a heart transplant more than a decade ago. But to some, he's better known as the exuberant young man seen at the NFL draft this past April. With more, here's Chris Connolly. It's Las Vegas, the NFL Draft, opening night red carpet, cameras, crazy fans, and standout players. Through it all, a running commentary from Sam Prince. What's up, everyone? We're in Vegas, getting ready the red carpet right now. Just that with Travis, Kelsey, and Ryan Clark. By the time he's greeted just about everyone in the place, Hi, two. Pleasure to meet you. Sam is backstage. And Commissioner Roger Goodell has a question for him. Yeah. So how did this become your wish? The answer to how this became Sam's wish can be found some 2,000 miles away in North Caldwell, New Jersey. Here, they remember when the young man who always has something to say spent his first years unable to utter a single word. One of his doctors told us that he probably would never walk, he would never crawl, and he didn't speak till he was four years old. Gonna give the camera a smile, Sammy? He was still an infant when doctors told his parents that Sam had hypoplastic left heart syndrome, too severe for a permanent surgical repair. They looked at us and said, I don't know how he's living for five minutes, let alone five weeks. Just a miracle that he survived birth, and then that was just really the very beginning of a a long, long road. He had two open heart surgeries, lots of cardiac catheterizations. And Sam, when he was about seven years old, started to decline. What did you learn about him, watching him go through all these things, even as a very young child? I learned that he is the strongest, bravest boy you'll ever meet, and he has a zest for life that nobody else has. Didn't think I'd get this emotional. (laughs) Sam needed a miracle, and at the age of eight, he finally got one. In Sam's eyes, he has two birthdays. He was born on January 7, 2003, and he received his heart transplant on March 14, 2011, and that is his second birthday. And trust me, he celebrates them both. Welcome back to Prince Lapai. This is your host, Sam. These days, he's a natural at the mic, a passionate Giants fan a recent high school graduate offering opinions on his podcast. Prince of the Pod, I started it 2020, and, you know, I've had my friends on a lot. I also do a lot of stuff for my high school. I was the team reporter for the West Essex football team. I have been thinking about this for three, four years now. I want to be a Make-A-Wish kid and announce the first round pick of the New York Giants. So Sam thinks he's come to the Giants' office to help his grandfather, a season ticket holder, get fixed up for next season. Hi, you guys here with the tickets? We're supposed to report here to the window, ticket Hi, window. Do you have your ID for the tickets, sir? Thank you. Hi, what's Hi. your name? Sam. Sam what? Sam Prince. Sam Prince. Doesn't that name sound familiar? Do you, do you have uh, Sam Prince. I had something for Sam Prince. I think I had something for you. Oh, yeah, you're different. I have a winner of the, uh, you have a tour 
of oh the practice God. facility that I'm going to give you. It's Eli Manning, Sam's favorite New York Giant of all time. Sam is stunned and immediately starts talking to his idol about football. My first game was when you guys beat the Bills. 11? The 11 season. 11 season. So the Super Bowl season. There you go. You're a good luck charm. And he's quick to share his NFL draft strategy with the owner. This is, uh, we got uh, John Mara here, our owner, Sam. Mr. Mara, how you doing? Honor to meet you. He's there at five. If I'm you guys, I run to that podium and get Kayvon Thibodeau. Once he's had a snack with Eli and been given some fresh giant swag, Sam's message is the same as he meets the team's new brain trust, general manager Joe Shane and head coach Brian Dable. I think you got to go Kayvon Thibodeau if he's there, but I don't personally think he's going to be there. Um, I, do you have I, any I, advice for me, like going like first draft pick? You know, don't mess it up. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, mess I, it I up. Well, hey, and, and part of not messing it up, and I've been thinking about this, is I need somebody that, that knows what the heck they're doing that I can rely on. Yeah, you can rely on me to go to Las Vegas and make this pick for me. What do you think about that? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You good about that? Awesome. He's headed to Vegas, baby. Looking spiffy, shaking hands, and dispensing wisdom, Sam is brimming with excitement. We're so close, Giants fans. We are so close. His draft day buzz intensifies, and he meets the commish. So how did this become your wish? So my grandpa's had season tickets for 50 years. Really? And I love the draft, love the NFL, and I want to make the first round pick for the Giants. Well, you better make it well. Thank you. I wear this, I wear my green bracelet every day. We represent Oregon Nation. I was wondering if I could give you one. The Giants are on the clock, and Sam takes one more vibe check. I look good. I look good. Sam? Yeah. Here's your pick, man. And you say it, Thibodeau, Ooh. like it is right there. Yeah, big, big one. I said to Mr. Mara, if Kayvon is on the board, it's, I'm going to run up for Kayvon Thibodeau. Oh. Let's go, man. For the New York Giants pick, I'm joined by Sam Prince, a lifelong Giants fan and Make-A-Wish kid. Tonight, his wish to announce the Giants' first pick comes true. Okay, Sam, it's time to get your wish true, baby. Thank you, Mr. Goodell. With the fifth pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the New York Football Giants select Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end, Oregon! I knew I wanted to do that wish ever since I was in that hospital bed watching the drafts. Welcome to New York, my guy! <laughs> my mom says to me all the time, great things happen to the ones who wait. <laughs> they really do happen. More My Wish coming on NFL Live this week. Thursday, we show you a meeting between Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes and Micah. Be prepared for some tears. She is dreaming of becoming the NFL's first female quarterback. Still to come, could the loss of Amari Cooper push the Cowboys to a run-dominant game plan? Find out why Mina says they should have just run the ball for the sake of running it.
ESPN Fantasy Football is the number one fantasy game. And with the season right around the corner, get your league started now at ESPN.com slash fantasy football. I can't wait. Remember like a million years ago, actually it was like five months ago, and one of the first major moves of the offseason was the Cowboys shipping away Amari Cooper in a trade to the Cleveland Browns. It was basically a salary dump. Well, the team also lost Cedric Wilson in free agency. Michael Gallup's coming back from an ACL tear. So this skill group that was once considered perhaps the best in the NFL has some questions, and former Cowboys quarterback Tony Romo thinks that could lead to a bit of an offensive shift for quarterback Dak Prescott. Here's what Romo had to say on CBS Radio about Prescott. Quote, I think he's shown more, he's more than capable of playing great football consistently throughout a year, and I just think it's going to be a little different. You know, because the weapons won't be quite as dynamic, they'll still be very good, but I do think that you'll see teams play them just a little bit different. I think you'll see a shift in philosophy a little bit. The identity might change and get back toward the 2016-ish, 17, 18 season. Reminder, the Cowboys offense was near the top of the league in most key categories last year. They averaged an NFL best 31.2 points per game, and even when only looking at points scored by the offense, they were third in the league behind only the Bucks and the Bills. Remember, Trayvon Diggs kept scoring touchdowns last year. The Cowboys were the only team to score at least 40 points in five games during the 2021 season. All right, so from Tony Romo, the former Cowboys quarterback, to our guy, Dan Orlovsky, our quarterback, yeah, you think Romo is right in the assessment that the Cowboys should go back to being like that 2016, 17, 18 version of themselves? Yeah, ironically, Field, I agree with what Tony said. Um, I think it's twofold, bud. This, this is, I'll start with this. The reality of their perimeter weapons. We're talking about a football team that CeeDee Lamb is their number one. Ultra-talented player, but he's third in the NFL and dropped so since he became a professional football player. So you got to fix that. Their number two receiver, Michael Gallup, is going to miss probably a month, right? Because he's coming off torn ACL surgery. And then their number three receiver is a third-round pick from South Alabama, Jalen Tolbert, who was a little bit banged up and hurt in the spring, who doesn't have a ton of reps. So it's a little bit by necessity, yeah, that they're going to have to rely more on the run, Pollard, Zeke, and everything. I also think it's this. The best way that I can phrase the Cowboys' offense is, is it reliable when it's needed the most? What I mean by that is when they are playing a team that is top-notch defensively, is this, we're going to drop back and throw it all over the lot offense with the offensive line, the quarterback, and the receivers that they have? Is it what's needed, or is it reliable when it's needed the most? Three years ago against the Rams in the playoffs, threw it a bunch on first and second down, weren't good, and then it's third and eight, not good enough to convert. Last year in the playoffs against the 49ers, got beat up at the line of scrimmage, couldn't run the football at all, but this past first offense couldn't get it done either. And I think that's the little bit of the philosophy of the philosophy of they're truly, truly trying to build for playoff caliber football offensively moving forward. Yeah, it's tricky, Dan, because I completely agree with you about the you know perimeter weapons or lack thereof and some of the adjustments they're going to have to make. And you know, when you look at that group and then look at the backs thinking, okay, well, let's lean more on the run game. But I have to see how this run game looks behind this offensive line before yeah. I feel comfortable um, saying that the run game is going to be effective. I mean, Tony talks about 
the 2016 offense, Travis Frederick's not walking through that door. I, like, you know, it's still a good line. You've got Tyron Smith if he's healthy, Zach Martin. But other than that, you've got new pieces working in, potentially a rookie and Tyler Smith starting. Terrence Steele's played well at tackle. But again, you know, it's, it's not exactly what it was. And Ezekiel Elliott, if you remember, was the most dominant running back in football. That year led the league in yeah. first downs per rushing attempt, yep. uh, explosive runs. That Ezekiel Elliott, I don't think, is walking through the door. I still think he's a really good back, and I want to be clear, and I'm a huge fan of Tony Pollard as well, who I believe they need to use more in the passing game. But when you look at the pieces, and particularly on that offensive line, it's not as easy as saying, oh, yeah, we're just going to go back to 2016 and run the ball, and it's going to be dominant because – they're not as dominant mm-hmm. from a personnel perspective. All right, so Jeff, you and I are playing in the fantasy mm-hmm. football league together this year. So you have to answer this question. You can't pretend that your audio equipment is going to go out all of a sudden because I want to know what you're hearing <laughs> about how the Cowboys could divide carries in the running game between Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard. Oh. <laughs> Stop it. Stop. No, I'm kidding. All right, I heard that Look, <laughs> here's the deal. Tony Pollard absolutely, from my conversations, will have a role in this running game to the point where maybe it does take away early reps from Zeke. But we have to point out that Zeke and Tony have a really good relationship. I don't sense that this is going to be something based on my conversations where Zeke would say, I'm not into this, I'm RB1, absolutely, I need the touches all the time. Pollard proved last year, while not not being like stat heavy, he proved that he is very capable of making some big plays, especially in the passing game. These guys actually complement each other pretty well. And if this is something that can keep Zeke healthy later in the season, I absolutely believe that the Cowboys will utilize more of a committee approach. That's not to say Zeke won't be the starter. It's just to say that they will be willing to put Pollard in there if it's going to help Zeke get a little bit of rest. In other words, I'm saying you should draft Zeke with your first pick, Field. (laughs) I like that. Real quick, the best way, because I think the point of Pollard and Zeke matter, Darlington and their relationship, the the best way I would describe the Cowboys' offense is it's often been – Um, pass when need, run when want. And I think it's got to be reversed a little bit. I think it's got to be pass when you want to, run when you need to. Their best player on offense is their quarterback. So it needs to be this philosophy of, well, we want to throw the ball. Well, let's throw the ball. But they also have to have the capability of, we have to run the football in this situation. Our quarterback cannot do this by himself. He can't carry us by himself. Run it when you need to. Fantasy mm-hmm. football notes right here, courtesy of my friend, Jeff Darlington. <laughs> All right, great stuff there. We'll talk more about the Cowboys probably tomorrow because we always talk about the Cowboys. Coming up, we reveal the edge rusher, Madden Ratings. There is one member of the 99th club, but it's not the rainy defensive player of the year. Find out who takes the crown after the break. What if in 2024 you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Try Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. They have over 16 million subscriptions sold. 
Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash tackle. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash tackle. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash tackle. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Miles Garrett, four and a half sacks, one of the greatest to do it. The ball got stripped away, and it's picked up by Miles Garrett. He's going to score! Touchdown! TJ Watt has the sack! Unbelievable. Quarterback back here thinking he got time when he really don't. His brother is a fighter. He knows how to use leverage. He's a beast. Pretty scary. The Charger and pass rushing duo is so good. Both tackles better be really good. He works them hand drills. Who else? Joey Bosa. All right, time for the top 10 edge rushers as revealed. Madden 2023, number 10 overall, Rashawn Gary of the Packers. He was a top-ranked prospect coming out of high school all the way back in 2016. He is on the rise. His power move rating is tied for the third best amongst edge rushers in Madden NFL 2023. Number nine, Chandler Jones, who has more sacks than every other player in the NFL over the last 10 seasons. By the way, he now plays for the Las Vegas Raider. His Raiders, his power move, second amongst edge rushers in 2023 Madden. Heading into his ninth season, the cat with the Cowboys, Demarcus Lawrence, is number eight. He's still a consistent threat coming off the edge. He has top 10 ratings in the block shed, finesse moves, and pursuit categories in Madden NFL 2023. Cameron Jordan, 91 overall since 2014. He has recorded the third most sacks in the league. He's got 88 and a half during that span. His ability to recognize the play is amongst the very best in the game. We've got two Bosa brothers, so the older Bowen Bosa brother, Joey, comes in sixth overall. He's tied for the top finesse move rating in Madden NFL 23. He finds himself locked in with two other elite edge rushers, one of which is his brother. We'll talk about him in just a moment. Khalil Mack, number five overall. He plays in Los Angeles opposite of Joey Bosa, creating one of the fiercest edge duos in the league. Mack brings with him an elite power move and block shedding ability. Vaughn Miller is one of three players to have produced more than 100 sacks in the last 10 seasons. You see him here. He is number four of overall, 92. Even after a decade in the league, he possesses the top block shedding rating amongst edge rushers in Madden NFL 23. The younger Bosa brother, he is, of course, Nick, recorded 15 and a half sacks last year at the age of just 24. His top four finish amongst sack leaders makes him one of the best edge rushers in the game. Really is no answer for him. Number two is T.J. Watt. The league leader in sacks has become a nightmare for opposing quarterbacks. His finesse moves rating is tied with the Bosa brothers for the best in Madden NFL 23 amongst all edge rushers. Number one, part of the 99 club is Mr. Miles Garrett for the Cleveland Browns. His dominance on the edge has made him one of the best players in the game. His power moves rating is top 
amongst edge rushers. And after just five seasons, he is already closing in on the Cleveland Browns franchise sack record. So here we are, list 10 through 1. Once again, Miles Garrett, who is atop that list with a 99 rating overall. That's as good as it gets. Daniel, let me ask you this. What's your biggest question about this list? Where the heck is Max Crosby? That's a good one. Uh, I, don't know I would encourage everybody to go to Chris Long's Twitter page because he says it just a little <laughs> bit better than I did on national television. Um, <laughs> as a quarterback, I would want to play Max Crosby like I obviously want to. All right, Dano, we had a good run. We made it 54 minutes with steady internet. Uh, he was talking about Max Crosby, who, <laughs> let me ask you, I'll tell you what, Mina, I don't think Max Crosby has to fret this omission too much. The guy just signed a $98.98 million extension. Yeah. But what makes him so good? Oh, my gosh. He, he's developed into just such a complete pass rusher. His array of moves, his burst, his get-off, his um, you know flexibility, his ability to bend. He, to me, he is unquestionably in the top 10 and lined up now with Chandler Jones on the opposite side. I know he had Yannick Ngakwe last year. I wouldn't be surprised to see if he's even more productive for this Raiders pass rush. Um, Another player that I would say I, I personally think belongs in the top 10, I would guess he was just outside at 12, is Micah Parsons uh, with Dallas. And, and that, to me, if you had told me a year ago that Micah Parsons, before the draft, was going to be in that category, I would have said you're insane. I mean, I, I'd seen, you know, he could blitz in college. We knew he had that skill set coming out of high school. But, you know, coming to the league, I think we, we figured he would be an excellent off-ball linebacker. All he did, first of all, uh, last season, his rookie year, he had over 300 snaps on the defensive line. Expect that to go up, I would say, with the absence of Randy Gregory. And ESPN has this metric pass rush win rate, which you see right here. Uh, It's if you beat your blockers in 2.5 seconds or less. Not 2.5 seconds or less. Not only was he first uh, in the league, he was second versus double teams. Mm. Behind Aaron Donald. I want to repeat that. Second double team behind Aaron Donald. This dude is a freak. And I firmly believe he's going to be viewed in that top echelon of pass rushers next year, especially if he's got a healthy Demarcus Lawrence with him. Yeah, I mean, I know you're familiar with there's this quirk in the NBA's all NBA voting where players can be voted yeah. at different positions. And if they are voted at forward, it takes away a center vote. And vice versa. It almost feels like with Micah Parsons, if he was just an edge rusher, he'd be ranked higher. If he was just a stand-up inside linebacker, he'd be ranked higher. Alas, he has to settle for an 88 ranking overall. All right, let's go to the other side of the ball. That's an excellent point. See, me and you and I in lockstep. So, Travis Kelsey, he's the number one tight end of the game. That seems good. Not so good as he is 98 overall. We'll talk about that in a second. He's followed by George Kittle, Mark Andrews, and Darren Waller, who are the only tight ends with a rating of at least 90 in Madden NFL 23. So I mentioned Kelsey not satisfied with the 98 ranking, posting a list on his Instagram story last night along with the message, quote, I'm going to need that 99 by the end of the year. All right, Mina, any issue with the top 10 amongst the tight end list? You know, I think they got the top four right. Um, And I do, you know, Travis, the ratings do change as the year goes on. I wouldn't be surprised if Kelsey gets back up to 99, given how he's used in that offense. Uh, But one player who I thought 
was ranked too low, and I would push up to even five would be Dallas Goddard with Philadelphia, uh, who I think is one of the most yep. underrated skill players in the entire NFL. Uh, just so versatile in this offense. Excellent receiving skills, as you see here, but also can play in line, can block, can do everything they ask of him. And that's important in this offense, which is, of course, so run heavy to have a tight end who when he's on the field defenses don't know what he's going to do is so useful in terms of creating mismatches and, yeah. and getting open for Jalen Hurts I expect him to continue to ascend it's part of the reason why they were comfortable of course parting ways with Zach Ertz and I wouldn't be surprised if his ratings next year reflect that yeah I mean I think it's a, a great point on his versatility and that's why for Dallas Goddard I would have him in the top five and I actually would make the claim that both him and Mark Andrews of the Baltimore Ravens are the closest things that we have right now to George Kittle. I think George Kittle is the best tight end in football because he can do everything. Travis Kelsey is an absolute superstar, but Kittle is asked to do more at a elite or high-end level throughout the course of 70 snaps than Travis is. Now, Travis and Darren Waller, who are, I think one and four in that ranking, are both elite pass-catching tight ends and good inline blocking tight ends, but Kittle's asked to do everything. Mark Andrews from Baltimore is asked to do everything. Dallas Goddard is asked to do everything. And I think those three guys are really the kind of the standard bearers or the benchmark for guys, the, the, the traditional tight end that we see. That's why I think we have to rank those guys a little bit higher for what is demanded or asked of them. It's a great point all the way around. It's time now for us to get to one more thing to wrap up the show. And yesterday, Madden released the wide receiver rankings. Jamar Chase was 19th on the list. 19th, he tweeted, I'm going to keep working. Extra motivation. Tom Brady then retweeted that and said, quote, don't sweat it, man. Madden didn't even put me in the game my second year. It's a great point. And, Dano, how is it that Brady always has the right thing to say about everything in life? He's hired a phenomenal social media team. Yeah, it's it's that's a great point right there. <laughs> NFL Live is back tomorrow. More Madden ratings talking so much more.